Grab your Bible and turn with me to uh, Haggai. And uh, we are going to be finishing the message that we started last week. And uh, God has a fresh new word for us. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you will open our hearts and minds to hear what you have for us today. I pray that you will grab our attention, captivate us again, Lord, with your words. Help us not just learn some facts, but help us, God, to be impacted by your truth today. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, as you remember from last week, and maybe you weren't here, just by way of review real fast, we started a two-week series, so this is the end of it, right here. Uh, We're going to be studying an entire book of the Bible. That's the long news. The good news is it's only two chapters long, and we're halfway through. And we saw in the first half of, of Haggai's message that God is calling his people to reorder their priorities. We started out with seeing that God called his people to rebuild the temple. Remember that? The temple had been destroyed, and they had been in exile, and and they have come back, and God says, rebuild my temple. Now, the temple for them was a place where God's presence dwelled. It was a, a literal symbol and place of their relationship with him. And so when he called them to rebuild the temple, in essence, he's saying, I want you to rebuild the place that symbolizes our relationship together. They started out in obedience, and they began to rebuild the temple, but Time creeped in, and one thing led to another, and they became distracted. And then the building campaign and project started to wane, and and they no longer put their efforts in rebuilding the temple, but they began to focus on their own lives, their own homes. And the Scripture tells us that they began to repanel their houses, put luxury in their own houses, while the temple of the Lord was left in ruin. Then God called His people to take a good hard look at their life. He challenged them and he said, you are not putting me first. You put me in second or third or fourth or fifth place and and you put so many other things before me. You are not living in total obedience. So God called for a reordering of their priorities. He said, put me first again. Build my temple. Build my relationship with you first. Allow that to be the center of your very life and let everything else flow around it. And God gave this, I don't know what I call it, this smackdown, this this spanking spiritually. And he says, you have went away from me. And then we looked at the end of the people's response. And and they could have ignored it. They could have gotten angry. They could have argued with God. They could have gotten offended. But no, they obeyed. Scripture said the whole lot of them obeyed. And God began to bless them. That's where we pick up this morning if we look at Haggai chapter 2. This is a message when you know God has spoken to you. And God has said, this is what I want you to do. And I want you to put me first in your life. And you say, yes, God, I want to. But now what? And that's where this picks up. All of us, if we're honest, there's been a time in our life when God has not been the number one priority as he should be. All of us have experienced a moment when when God has has not been the focus of our life when He longs to be the focus of our life. But when He calls us back to put Him in the rightful place to reorder our priorities and we say, yes, God, I want to put you first, now what? This is a message for us. Let's look at Haggai chapter 2 and see what God has for us today. Looking first at what He had for them. 
we see here that God has a word of encouragement. If you're taking notes, just jot that in there. Number one, God gives encouragement. He's going to give encouragement to his people, and it comes in this passage right here. Chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the Lord, declares the Lord. And work. In essence, obey. Build my temple. Do what I've told you to do. He goes on. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have coveted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This kind of took me by surprise when I first read this. This is the encouraging word God has. And what does God do? His first point in encouragement to help the people, they have already said yes. God has given them the smackdown. He's told them where they've been and what they've been doing. And they say, you're right, we obey. And God says, I'm going to bless you. And then now he's got words of encouragement. And the first thing that he does is God points out, their disappointment. God puts his finger on their disappointment. And he does this by saying, hey, who around here remembers the temple? The, the temple, the first temple that was built and how glorious it was. And look around. Doesn't it just look like nothing now? And that's what he's saying. Your rebuilding efforts, they stink. It's awful. And you call this good? This is the encouraging word from the Lord. They've already said we're going to obey. And yes, God, I'm going to go with you. And God goes, man, your work is pitiful. What you can do is nothing. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life when I know God is calling me to obedience. And I feel like I'm saying, yes, God, I want to obey. But then there's this great disappointment that just comes over you. Maybe God has been convicting you about your prayer life. And you say, God, I want to pray more. I want to be a, a person who presses into your presence. And so you, you, you set out to pray, and then the next day, and the next day, and you find yourself still just prayerless. And God points out to you, really good job on the prayer thing. And you go, oh my goodness, are you encouraging me, God? I said I wanted to obey. Why, why, why are you rubbing it in? It just feels like I feel so horrible and guilty. Maybe God has impressed on your heart to, to read the Bible, and you cringe every time I get up here and talk about this 40-day journey. You're like, would he just quit talking about it? Uh, my discipline is not there. I just can't do it, and I, I want to do it. I've said, yes, God, I want to take in your word, but he says we can be on the 46-day plan, but I think I'm on the 103-day plan. It's just not going to work. God says, yeah, your self-discipline is pretty bad. God, you're, you're talking to me about my priorities in my life and, and putting you above my work and, and putting you above even my family, putting you above myself. And, and God, you have called out some specific things of what I'm worshiping over you. I, I worship sports or I worship what people think of me. I, I worship all these things. And, and God, I've already said yes and, and I confess and I may even come to the altar. And, and, and now your first way to encourage me is to put your finger on the disappointment. 
See, God wants to bring real encouragement to your soul, not pseudo-encouragement. He wants to bring real relief to your soul, not just kind of butter you up. How many believe God knows what he's doing? And God does this for a reason. Check it out. He, he brings the problem to the front. No doubt they were thinking, God, you've called us to rebuild this temple, and it's been years, and it looks horrible, and those who can remember how great and, and wonderful it was, it's nowhere near that. Woe are we! So God just calls the elephant out in the room. Yeah, it's pretty bad. You've kind of made a mess of things. Your priorities are really messed up. But then look what God does. God, right after that, brings hope to them. That's the second thing he does. God gives hope. God gives a strong challenge for them to look at the disappointing things around them. But he says, hey, I am with you. I am with you. So what? What do you need to do? Work. Build my temple. Yeah, you've made a mess of all this stuff. Yeah, you've been off track. Yeah, your willpower's low. Yeah, you've, you've, you've made a big old heap of trouble. But I am with you. You're ready to obey now, and I am with you. So God says, yes, you can't. But he says, I can, and I am with you. He says, I am going to give you strength. The hope I have for you is not to just say, oh, I'm so glad you realized that you made a mess of things, and so I'm just going to pretend like everything's okay. No, the temple is still not rebuilt. Our relationship is still not where I want it to be. No, you have not fixed all the things that are wrong. And you know what? You probably can't do it. But I am with you. So work at what I've told you to do. God says, don't fear I'm not making this up. You look at it. Verse 9 there, chapter 2. You read it in your Bible. That's why I want you to have your Bible here. It doesn't really matter what I say. It matters what God says to us through His Word. Look at that. He says, don't be afraid. I am with you. He is calling them to place their attention. Yes, things are a mess. Yes, they have failed. Yes, it is bad. Yes, it is something that still needs attention. But God is with them and they're ready to obey. So the first step of encouragement, after we say yes to God and we move over obedience, sometimes God calls out the problem again. That, that began to give freedom in my soul. When you take radical steps of obedience, often it feels like there's all kinds of attacks after that. Sometimes the enemy wants to get you down, but other times God's saying, good, I'm so glad you're ready to obey. Now, now remember... You really have messed this up. Remember, you are so full of yourself and so prideful. You are so easy to be bitter. You are whatever the issue is. And God says, I need you to put me first in your life. You know what? God says, hey, I am with you. Keep obeying. I am with you. Don't be afraid. That's going to be important a little bit later. But God's encouragement continues. Let's look back at his word, picking up back at verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house 
will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. See, God is saying, I am calling you to something radical. When I begin to move on the edge in obedience, God is calling me to do something that maybe I have never, ever done before. And God is saying, take courage, because I am in control. I am going to shake this earth. I am going to call everything to my attention again. Just in case you're confused that I'm in control, I want to remind you that I can shake the land. I want to remind you that all the silver, all the gold is mine. God is not broke. You know, when we come and worship and we give of our tithes and offering, you know, when God calls you to obey in giving your tithe and offering, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. If you're new around Grace Point, I hope you know that I don't talk about money. We don't talk about money here because we're broke or God's broke. Hey, the good news is God doesn't want your money. Maybe the challenging news for you is God wants something so far more valuable than that. God wants you. And God knows to get us, sometimes we have to let go of the things that grip and control us. And we begin to get a heart of giving and we begin to give to God the way he's called us to. We begin to see that we are surrendering to him. All things are his. All the silver, all the gold are God's. He is in control. So these people are discouraged. They they have seen that they have failed. They're ready to obey. God gives them hope by pointing out the elephant in the room. And he says, I give you courage because I am with you. And know that I am in control. Everything is God's. See, God says, I am doing a new thing. Look at that. He says, I will pour out my presence on this new house. My glory will fill this new house even greater than the former. This sounds a lot like Isaiah. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Forget the old stuff. It's not that our past doesn't have any value. We're going to talk about our past in a minute. But compared to the past, I have something that's so far better for you right now. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Don't you perceive it? It springs up. God says, I am in control. I am going to shake the things around you. Pastor Brady, that's good. It sounds like you're excited about that scripture. But I don't get it. What does this have to do with my life? You've touched on a few things of priorities, and, and, and I felt God kind of tug on my heart last week, but, but where am I at today? Friend, our culture is addicted to self. You know, every sin comes back to one root, selfishness. Every sin. Every single sin comes back to, I want my way above God's way. I want what I want regardless of how it hurts you or someone else. I want what I want regardless of the consequences. And in that selfishness is this desire to put us as number one. Everything from self-help books that tell us to look out for number one. If you don't watch out for yourself, no one else will watch out for you. It's all hogwash. God says, let me call you back to me. Let me help you reorder your priorities. I believe this room is full of a group of people who say, yes, God. I want you first. I've kept you first. Here's the encouraging word for you today. God will point out the elephant in the room in your life. God will say, good, but we need to make sure you understand how often you miss this. How often you say to me with your lips that I am number one, but then your actions do something else. (laughs) 
D.L. Moody and also uh, John Wesley are quoted with saying that preaching on sin is a good thing, fun thing, until you start listing them specifically. Everybody wants to hear about sin until you talk about something specific in their own life. I think God wants us to get really transparent. God wants us to look at our checkbook or our online bank statement. If someone just got a hold of your checkbook or your bank statement, what would it say about your relationship with God? And I'm not just talking about giving to this church. When you get an extra 50 bucks, does anything cross your mind? Maybe that's for somebody else. Maybe maybe I'm going to keep that tucked away in my wallet or my purse and say, God, you show me who I can bless with that. God, when you have me put priorities first, maybe when I come to worship, maybe I should be focused on what I could give to you in worship today, how I could bless your name in worship today, instead of what I need to get. We've become really good at being consumers in our relationship with God. You can find a translation of the Bible that will say it the way you like it. You can find a preacher on a podcast somewhere or on a tape or a CD somewhere that will say it in a way that you like it. You can find a church somewhere that will dress or look or talk or smell the way that you would like them to. You can find a place that has the programs on the day of the week that you want them to. And I'm not knocking other churches and I'm not saying we shouldn't be relevant. But I'm saying good grief if all we do as a church is try to help us be consumer friendly. We have missed what God's calling us to. Because God says enough. It's not about what you want. It's about what I have for you. And my encouraging word for you today is to know that I am in control. You're not in control. I have the power. You don't have the power. And sometimes we need to have God put his finger in our back and say, Hey, you have no power. You will mess up as a dad over and over again if you don't depend on me. Your tendency... To always be right all the time. It's not that I want to be right all the time. I'm just so blessed that I am most of the time. And other people may have a disapproval of that, may not like that. They have the right to be wrong. What is it in us that just likes to be right? That likes to win? If we're going to play games, I'm going to play to win. I don't want to play just to, to, to lose. What is in that competitive spirit in us that always wants to get what we have first? God says, hey, hey, I want you to recognize that in and of yourself, you will curve in on yourself every time. But when you surrender to me, I can do something new and fresh. God is in control. We are not. This is the encouraging words to the heart that says yes. He will pour out his glory fresh and new in this house. Let's move on. Number two, there's another strong message that God gives on priorities. God is going to give another reminder. Now, if I remember correctly, it's just been a few months since their initial smackdown from God. Look at verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, the second year of Darius. Good grief. Why does he put all that in there? It's a specific day and time to a specific group of people. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. Oh, don't miss this. This is so good. It's the best part. Start over. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, that fold touches some bread or some stew or some wine or oil or other food, does it become consecrated as well? The priest says, uh, no. 
Then Haggai said, if, if a person who is defiled by contact of, of a dead body, they go touch a, a dead body or a dead animal, and, and it touches some of these other things, it touches the bread or the wine or the food, do those things become defiled as well? And the priest says, well, yes, it's defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with the people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do, whatever they offer, they are, they are defiled. What does that mean? You see, God knows that they need to have a reminder. They have said yes to God, but now they need to be reminded of what God had taught them. Have you ever been to a place when it was so clear what God told you to do, and then like a week sets in, and two weeks, and three weeks, and a month, and then God needs to give you a reminder? And God is so gracious, he reminds them in a way that they love. These people love rules. They love them. I don't like them. They love them. They hang on to rules. Rules make them feel safe and comfortable, and they can kind of control rules, and, and they can have that structure, and they love the rules. And so, so God gives a message through Haggai, and he says, okay, okay. Let's, let's just talk in a way you understand. I've got to give you this reminder to stay on track. Now, here's what he's saying. If you take meat, see, in their relationship with God, they would take a sacrifice that they would give to God, and they would set apart certain things. This meat, they would set it apart as a sacrifice for God. They would sanctify it for God. They would, they would deem it holy. This is God's meat that I'm going to give to him. So if you would take that gift that you're going to give to God, that meat, and you would take it and put it in the fold of your garment, if you would tuck it in your coat, and then as you're walking, that, that meat touches your coat, and it bumps into the wall, and it bumps into the bread, is your coat now set apart for God? Is it holy? Is it consecrated to God? Is the wall that you bump the meat against, is it set apart for God? And the priest goes, no. No. I mean, of course, to... To consecrate something, to set it apart for God's holy use, it's a conscious choice. I had to say, this is the meat I'm going to give to God. And so, if the meat accidentally touched something, it didn't make that other stuff holy. So, God, what are you talking about? And God's so good, he goes, okay, hang with me. Hang with me. So, like, that's a no, but let's check this out. You love this rule. If you go touch a dead body, and you're, like, going, oh, look at this dead animal. This is kind of gross, and you get it all over your hands. Now you come in, and you touch the bread. Is, is it contaminated? Well, yeah. If you stick your finger in the wine, is it now contaminated? Well, yeah. Well, that's the way you are. What? God says your disobedience is infectious. Your misplaced priorities, they're infectious. They spread. They, they go all throughout your life. You thought they were contained. You thought it was just a neat containment. Well, God, I'm so glad you want me to build the temple, but I don't have time today. I've got to go build my own stuff. And so, God, right here in the area of my life of, like, temple building, it's kind of messed up. But over here on production in my business, we're good. The misplaced priority is over there, but my business is doing good. God goes, no. It contaminates everything in your life. When your priorities are, are, are skewed with God, it oozes into every area. He says, everything you put your hand to will fail. Everything that you try to do is, is not going to prosper. It's going to affect every part of your life. He says, this is a reminder. I'm so glad you said yes. I'm so glad you want to put me first. But I need to remind you that at the beginning, it was just one or two of you 
who said, let's not rebuild the temple right now. And then it was like five, and then it was like 50, and then it became a whole group, and then it became the whole nation, and it infected everybody. A little bit of disobedience, a little bit of misplaced priorities infected the whole. It's a conscious choice when I set something aside for God, but when I choose to be disobedient, when I choose to put what I want above what God has, it infects everything around. I love that God chose to talk to them in a way that they would understand in rules. So let's let God talk to us in a way we understand. We love profit. We love success. We love the ability to make something of ourselves. at least in Western culture. God says, when you take me out of the number one seat, you may think you have these things, but you will have no success. You will have no profit. You will have no gain in your life. Everything will be tainted. It only took a few to mess up the whole. God also reminds them in the second part of verse 14, whatever they touched was defiled. God is saying, I cannot bless double-mindedness. I can't bless double-mindedness. You say yes to me and want to obey me, great. Now let me remind you, you got into this mess by compartmentalizing. You got into this mess by saying, God, I'm going to serve you big on Sunday. I'm going to give you my leadership at church. I'm going to be a great leader at church, but in the secret life of my home, I'm going to do what I want to do. God says, I cannot bless double-mindedness. It won't work. It's infectious. Your, your obedient heart has to be all the way throughout your entire being. You cannot just say, God, you can only have so much. That's his reminder. Let's move on. As we see this reminder, we need to see the pattern of God's communication. In chapter 1, he came and he gave him this smackdown. Remember the big spanking? He said, hey, take a good hard look at your life. Put me first. And then what did he do? He brought encouragement in chapter 2. And he said, yeah, I'm going to point out the the negative thing, but you can do it. I'm with you. I'm going to give you strength. So God gives him a spanking, and then he wraps his arm around him and loves him. And then he comes back a couple months later, and he says, I need to give a reminder. And he gives him another spanking. And then he's getting ready right now to wrap his arms around him. This is a great picture of who God is. God loves us so much that he will continue to discipline us. The popular culture tells us today that God loves you, and he loves you so much, he'll never, ever, ever, ever discipline you. How does that work in your house with your kids? How does that work in society when we say, oh, you're just so wonderful, I'm not even going to talk about the glaring things that are wrong. A couple of years ago, I witnessed right before a church service a, a little two-year-old who walked over to a little lever on the side of a wall and thought, this needs to be pulled. And he pulled this red lever down from the wall, and you know what it was. is a fire alarm, and lights go off, and sound goes off, and the two-year-old turns around like, am I not good? And before I could say anything, I watched the mom, who was mortified, come over and just scold the little boy. And he just began to cry. I just thought I was doing something good. This was cool. And I'm like grown up and lights and sound and it's cool. And I guess you don't want me to do it. And she scolded him and he took it and then she hugged him. But then the fireman came. And the fireman said, who pulled this? 
The mom said, it was my son. I need to talk to him. I watched this all happen. The fireman walked up to the little two-year-old boy and said, hey, this is a felony. And the kid, he didn't know what it was. But it's this big, tall guy in a hat and boots and tell him no. And he just starts crying again. But then the, the fireman got down on his knees. And he put his arms out to the kid and he said, but I want to see you again, just not like this. And invited him to come out to the fire engine, the truck. It hit me in that moment. That's just what God does. God says, stop it, stop it, stop it. This is dangerous. Don't do this. This is going to hurt you. Every time in Scripture when God says don't, he's saying don't. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you or someone else. And then when he scolds you, he wraps his arms around you. And then we get forgetful and he scolds us again. Then he wraps his arms around us. That's exactly what's happening. And right before we get this last hug from God in a moment, we need to see this picture of God. Now check this out. As you were reading through the New Testament together, when we, pretty soon here we're going to get to Paul's letters. Watch what Paul does. He does the same thing. Paul says, my brothers, you're dirty, rotten scoundrels. And he begins to list all the things about them. Then he says, oh, I'm the chief of sinners and I love you and I can't live without you and you're wonderful. But let me tell you how all things are messed up in your life. But come here, let me hug The attitude of Christ Jesus was coming out in Paul's life and his teaching, his leadership. Are you catching what God has for us today? He's calling us to reorder our priorities, but he's also saying, learn about me in the process. Learn that I want to love you, and when I see something wrong, I'm going to bring correction to you, and then I'm going to love you again. So church, what's the moral here? Don't get to a place where you expect God doesn't have the right to tell you anything anymore. That's the adolescent who I talked about at the beginning of worship who says, oh, Father, oh, God, I already know everything. God, save us from our adolescence and our spiritual lives. Grow us up in the things of you. Help us see that even when you bring discipline, you are loving us. Oh, that's good. Verse 15. It's a future blessing. Now give careful thought from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10 When anyone went to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. In essence, there was always lack there in my house. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when you found the Lord's temple was laid. When the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit. He's saying, remember, remember the past. Don't ever forget how much of a mess you made things. Don't ever forget when you did it on your own how bad it was. Now, here's your blessing. From this day on, I will bless you. Remember the past, yes. Remember what it was like when you didn't put God first. Remember when you cut corners. Remember when just a little bit of compromise led to an entire infection of your entire life. But no, from this day on, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to have that. Hold on to the future blessing. Look to the future blessing. Take heart. God will bless you. His final words, verse 20 through 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai on the second time on the 24th day of the month. 
Is there anybody who could chronicle God speaking to you by the day and the time in your life? Or do we live so vague that we don't really listen to God? I mean, we we see so much good here. God wants to speak to you on the 20th day of the first month of 2013 at 10-11. Remember, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On this day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shiltel, declares the Lord. I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. He reminds them, remember, I am in control. God is in control. The last word I'm going to give you, God says, is I am in control. And remember, I will clear a path for you. God will clear a path for you. I'm in control. I'm going to clear a path for you. I will shake this nation. I will cause people to fall in front of you as I see fit. And finally, God will give you You, if you're his servant, his favor and authority. His favor and authority. God is in control. God will clear a path for you, and God will give you his favor and authority. God gives, he says, you're like my signet ring. You are the authority that I put forth. So, well, Pastor Brady, that's a lot of information from a book that I didn't know was in the Bible, from some names that I don't even know if you pronounce right because I can't pronounce them either. What does God want to say to me today? As we wrap up, we've had opportunities in the last week or two or three to have a come to Jesus moment and surrender to God. And I believe there's a heart of yes in this room. But God wants to give a reminder today. I believe he wants to put the finger of God in your back and say, you've made a mess of things. You have allowed your pride to so cloud your vision. I don't even know if you feel like you need to hear from me anymore. You've made my word about something you could manipulate and memorize and pull out and use whenever you want. And and, and I don't even know if you really want it to be living and active anymore. And that feels like, ouch, God, I said yes, I want to live for you. God may be putting his finger in your back and saying, you have rationalized in your own system of thinking that I don't work that way anymore. I don't heal anymore. I don't do miraculous things anymore. I don't speak to people anymore. And pretty soon, the priority in our life is of what we can understand or control about God and not who God is. Uh, Maybe for some of us, the, the application here today is that God has put his thumb in your back on a particular weakness in your life. Being a workaholic. Friends, don't ever brag about being a workaholic. Can you imagine someone bragging about being an alcoholic? Can you imagine someone bragging about being an addict to drugs? We're not to be addicted to anything. If I'm a workaholic, God help me. I'm addicted to my work. Church, I love you, but I love her more. I, I want to serve you, but God didn't call me to build a church. God called me to love my wife, and he promised he'd build his church. 
I get that all confused and I say, hey, God, would you go love my wife or I go build your church? No. God, don't let me be a ministry-aholic, a work-aholic. God, where is it that you need to take take first in my life? If there's anything that I'm a slave to, I'm a slave to Christ. God may want to put a reminder in your back. Now, here's what he'll do today. He'll give you a spanking. He wants to give you a hug. And in a couple weeks, he'll say, hey, I need to remind you. Then he'll give you a hug. So maybe the heart today is to say, God, I expect you. I welcome you. I look forward to your correction because you have my best interest at heart. I look forward to your hug because whenever you just make me ball like that two-year-old, I just pulled the lever and the lights and the sound. It was good. I just tried and I couldn't help it and all the stuff that was happening. God wraps his arms around and says, you're my kid. I'm in control. You obey. As we close today, I'm going to pray. And I really feel like our obedience step today is we leave with obedience. The Bible says, I am with you, says the Lord Almighty. So go work. Don't fear. So go do what I've told you. You know what God has told you about priority of Him in your life. It's time to go do that and know that He's with us. Father, as we wrap up our time here this morning, I thank You for Your Word that is alive and active. And though not many of us have named our kids Zerubbabel or Jehozadak, though many of us don't use the word Haggai much in our everyday life, and though there's centuries separating them and us, sin and selfishness have not changed. You and your sovereign power has not changed. You and your desire to be number one in our life has not changed. And so, God, I thank you for the same promise you gave to them as a promise that you extend to us today. That if we obey you, you will give us strength. I pray for my brother and sister here today who they are wrestling with financial obedience. They have made excuse after excuse how they have not put you first in their finances. And God, when you put your finger on their back, it's as if a two-year-old just melts in front of his mom who scolds them. And God, they want to obey, but they cannot figure out how to untangle the extension cord in the garage. It's so knotted up, they don't know what to do. Tell them, fear not, God. You are with them. Begin to take steps in obedience and you will clear a path before them. Remind them today that how bad it has been when they have tried to do it in their own strength. Give them hope today. Lord, I pray for that person who's dealing with an area of keeping you first in their life and I have not even spoken to it. I haven't touched it with a 10-foot pole. They know it's like a neon sign flashing in their mind of where they have put their will above your will. God, I pray that you will call them back in love today. To put you first. Lord, maybe you're going to remind us today of the infection that has spread. We thought we had so contained this area of compromise and priorities, but it has seeped into every aspect of our life. Lord, I pray that you will give hope through your correction today to my brother and sister who, who's now being made aware of the contamination of skewed priorities. 
But God, no matter where you have us today, I pray and I claim your promise for my brothers and sisters. God, you are in control of this church. You are in control of these families. You are in control of these men and women. You have not fallen asleep. All the heavens and earth is yours. All the silver and gold is yours. And you are shaking up your land again. You are bringing your glory back and it will be greater than it has ever been. Those who can remember a move of your spirit in this nation, it's going to be greater than that. And so God, I pray that we will take courage today that you are on the throne. So thank you, God. As strange as it feels, thanks for the spankings. I love the hugs, but thank you for your correction. It's in you we put our trust. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.